Uh, today's scripture is coming from Acts 9, from verse 1 to 9. I'll read. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no, no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drink. And that's the word of the Lord. Church. Uh, again, my name is Dan Chung. I'm executive director and co-founder of Crossing Borders. Uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers for the North Korean people. Um, you know, I, I've been praying and um, hurting for the North Korean people for over two decades now. And, you know, during this stretch of time, uh, it is easy to dismay, right? It's easy to lose hope and think that God is not listening, that we're just praying into an empty void. But I've been reading the book of Samuel with my children, and the story of Hannah uh, comes to mind. And it is a reminder that God hears our prayers. It might seem like a long time, but in His timing, that he will answer. So after years and years of being mocked by the other women around her, Hannah was praying for a son and she was able to conceive a son um, with her husband Elkanah. It says in verse 19 in chapter 1 that the Lord remembered her. In, chapter uh, in verse 20 it says, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked, I have asked for him from the Lord. The Bible is replete with passages that says the Lord hears our cries, he hears our prayers, the prayers of a righteous person are effective, and I just want to encourage you to continue on in your prayers if you have the time and the heart to do, to do so, to continue to pray for the people of North Korea. The Lord will hear us, and in due time, He will answer our prayers. Thank you so much again, and God bless. Our church, we're going to take a moment. I know this week we spent, we asked you guys to join last week. Pastor John uh, announced about us joining this prayer campaign for what's happening in North Korea. I don't know if you guys know, uh, the pandemic um, is, is spreading all over North Korea. There's a bad drought that's happening this year. Combination of all these things uh, just makes it really hard. 
for what's happening in North Korea. Crossing borders, they're landing in, in Korea as well. They're already doing ministry here, but they've asked the churches around the globe to join in this, in this prayer. So let me just pray as a church as we continue to intercede. Um, let's pray. Lord, we pray, Father, for just as our brother shared about, about Hannah, Lord, it, it's so easy to give up hope. When we think about North Korea, many of us have different ideas or thoughts or feelings. Some of us are, are passionately seeking you. Some of us have given up on the fact that we don't know what's happening. But Lord, we just pray you would continue to stir our hearts. Uh, you would continue to re-energize us. And that we would seek uh, your face. God, just like Hannah sought after you, we would seek your face for, for the lost child of North Korea, God. And we just pray in the season of their need. We think about our needs in the middle of a pandemic. Their needs are exponentially greater. We just pray for your mercy over that nation. Provision of food, provision of truth, provision of freedom. And continue, Lord. We, we trust in, in your continued work in that nation, God. We, we pray, Father, for the church global that we will not grow weary of seeking you, seeking your face for the nation of North Korea. We trust in your goodness. We trust in your sovereign hand over this nation, Lord. Continue to call call us to pray. Continue to call others to pray, Lord. We thank you. Uh, we love you. Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Just want to encourage you guys. You know, we spent a week in this campaign praying for North Korea, but prayer continues. Let's continue to seek and, and really cry out for the nation as we, as we uh, spend time with the Lord. Before we go into our text, we're going to be in Acts 9, just as it was read today. I wanted to ask for prayer because after today, our family will be in the States for about three weeks. First time going home in six years. Uh, my wife, Lois, does so much better with my family than I do. Uh, Lois, Lois uh, gets stressed because when I go back home, I become a child. I've shared my, my episodes of you know, my relationship with my parents and things like that. So I would just really appreciate if you guys could pray for our family, uh, especially my relationship with my sister. I left home really young. We've never lived together for so many years. It's not like we have a bad relationship. It's almost like we have no relationship. So pray for God to really enrich our time together. Um, and also, we're, we're traveling Air Canada. Things were very expensive. Air Canada has the worst rating, I think. They, like, shut down so many flights. Pray for uh, just God's grace as we make those connecting flights as well. Uh, you guys are going to be in great hands. We have our uh, elders, pastors uh, preaching through the book of Acts, so you guys won't have to worry. Kids ministry, we also have a guest uh, pastor who will be coming and teaching as well. So uh, we would really appreciate uh, you guys could pray for us. All right. Um, as a church, we've been walking through the book of Acts. This is a four-year plan. If you're just joining us, we're going to be here for two more years after this one. We're in year two. And one of the reasons why we wanted to walk through the book of Acts or return to this particular book is to create intentional space regularly, annually, to think about what does it mean for you and I to belong to a Christian community. Right, last two and a half years, our season... Almost three years now, our season under pandemic has really challenged and even changed the way we think about what it means to belong to a church. 
right? Some of us have really missed the physical worship gatherings like this, or you're here, you're excited. Others of us have really embraced doing much of our faith online. We've joined Christian communities online. We do services online. You're joining us online. And many churches in the city have turned over between anywhere between 30 to 50% of their congregation. Church looks very different now. So as we come out of this pandemic, hopefully, I feel like we're going back in, I think it'd be tremendously helpful to revisit some of these wonderful stories that are found in Book of Acts. For Book of Acts covers the first 30 years of the church. And, and, and really to help us to rethink what does it mean for us to really belong to a Christian community? Is it simply coming to a service? Is it simply joining a community group? I, th I think it's much more than that, and I think Book of Acts helps us. So today we're in chapter 9, and earlier in chapter 8, a couple weeks ago we're in chapter 8, in the beginning, Luke introduced us to a man named Saul. Out of nowhere, this man, Saul, comes out, and he, he's, a, he's a man from the city of Tarsus, and Luke tells us he was the one who approved the execution of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, at the end of chapter 7. And immediately following the death of Stephen, Saul went around the whole city of Jerusalem, entering house after house, dragging men and women out of their homes and putting them in prison for their faith. There was this intense, intense persecution that rose after the death of Stephen. And starting chapter 9, which is our passage today, Luke puts the spotlight back onto this man Saul. And as it was read in verses 1 to 3, Saul's zeal to demolish the church of Christ has only grown over time, right? Chapter 8, he begins, there's all these wonderful stories of gospel moving out of the city of Jerusalem, right? Philip going to places and preaching the gospel and gospel spreading as Jesus had told them it would. And now the spotlight is back on this man, Saul, and, and we're told that Saul even made trips outside of Jerusalem, looking to punish anyone who claims to be a follower of this man, Jesus. So verse 2, Saul goes to a high priest, the most powerful leader in Judaism at the time, requesting for a letter, a type of extradition letter, to be given the authority to execute and imprison men and women outside the city of Jerusalem. Right? Within the city of Jer Jerusalem, he already has jurisdiction. But now he's asking the high priest, let me go out of the city of Jerusalem and chase after these Christ followers who are preaching the gospel. And one city that Saul had his sight on was the city of Damascus, as we read in our text. Damascus was a city with a large Jewish population. Saul had heard that the gospel had reached that city and disciples were being made in that city. So Saul wanted to snuff out any of this movement gaining any traction. So he gathers his men and makes his way towards Damascus from Jerusalem. And we know through Luke's description, this man Saul was a man of great pride. I mean, we're going to learn about Saul a lot. right? Later we know him to be Paul, and he writes more than half of New Testament. But Saul, in the beginning, he was a man of great pride, a young man. He's brutal. He's accomplished already so much in his young career. He's a rising star in Judaism. So in the, in the whole story, we see so much pride, and he mistakenly believes he's in control. Everything Saul does in chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, is he's in control. 
At least that's what he thinks. Yet, very soon, he's about to realize, actually, he's not in control. He's not the one who is in pursuit in the story. If you actually read the story, rather, he is being pursued and he will not be able to run. Verses 3 and 4, as Saul and his men were making their way through through the desert heat, this was about a week's journey. Luke tells us as they were getting closer to the city of Damascus, a bright light flashed around him, and that light blinded him and knocking him over. Then a voice followed the light saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul is quickly losing control. He's terrified. He's unable to see. So he asks the only question that he's able to muster up at this moment of great shock. Perhaps it is the right question. The question is, verse 5, who are you, Lord? What is this light? What is this voice? And Luke tells us the voice has a name. His name is Jesus. In fact, these three words that we find in our passage, I am Jesus, will turn Saul's world upside down. This is the very bridge that always stood in the way, right? And that bridge has been crossed in Israel. The Lord and Jesus are one. And for the first time in his life, he has heard the voice of a crucified God. And Jesus is indeed who, who he has claimed to be all along. And, but even before these words can sink in, I am Jesus, Jesus says the next shocking thing. What does he say? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Why do you persecute me? What Jesus is saying is when you hate and punish and imprison and kill my people, you are imprisoning me. You are persecuting me. You are killing me. So first observation that we could glean from chapter 9, beginning of chapter 9, is that Jesus identifies with his followers. So what Jesus is saying to Saul is that my people's pain and suffering is not just their own, but it is also mine. And Saul, this man Saul, who is proud, who is zealous, has come face to face with God and Jesus who is not bound to this concept of time, but the one who lives every day with his people, in his people. So when Stephen was stoned in chapter 7, remember when Stephen was stoned by an angry mob, moments before Stephen breathed his final breath, what did he see? Who did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father interceding for him. Jesus was there, Stephen's final moment. So friends, first observation that we can glean from our text is that Jesus is no passive participant, participant in our suffering. Right? Jesus is not, not this passive participant in our suffering. He, he not only cares, he not only sees, but he is with us. He often carries us. So one of the titles that the gospel writers often used to describe Jesus was what? God Emmanuel, God with us, God who've entered our lives, God who entered our suffering, God who entered our challenges. 
That's not just New Testament, Old Testament. Daniel and his friends, remember when the book of Daniel, right? When they were thrown into the fire, into the furnace, into the den of lions, the, the story is very clear. They were never alone. Nebuchadnezzar is just shocked. He's, he threw three people in the fire, Daniel's friends, and there was a fourth person in the lion's den. King Darius thought, okay, it was over, but there was another person, right? They were never alone. Jesus was in the pit. He was in the den. And friends, that very same Jesus, he's with me. He is with you. And this nature of God, God with us, God in midst of people's suffering, God who identifies with his people, this, this idea is weaved throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. God who continues to hear his people's cries. So just an encouragement. If you are going through something very difficult, hard, and challenging, it is always a reminder. Scripture always reminds us you are never alone. Back to the story of verse 8. Luke tells us through Saul's Though Saul's eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. So some of his men who were with him took him into the city, and for three days he was without sight, neither did he eat or drink. For three days he couldn't see, he couldn't eat, he was without strength. And as we read on, it's clear that these three days were part of God's design. Right? It wasn't just simply this happened and God had to react. This was all part of God's planning. Saul's blindness is not without purpose. He may feel lost. He may have felt frustrated. He may have felt scared and confused. And imagine Saul, right? Everything he believed about God and Judaism has turned upside down by this light and voice. But Saul's blindness is not without purpose because he may feel lost, he may feel frustrated, he may be annoyed, but God is not. There's something God wants to do in the heart of Saul through these three days of him losing sight. So in the same way, friends, there are times God will call us, God will call you and I to places that we do not want to be in in order to create in us something we cannot attain on our own. There are times God will appoint purposeful time, time of season of something that we may not want to be and we may not want to experience, but he does that not to make our lives miserable, but in order to create something in us that we cannot attain on our own. But truth be told, these seasons that God calls us to, these seasons of challenge, challenging times, they're not easy. They're not fun. Or they're often filled, they're not often filled with this great sense of success or accomplishment. Instead, they feel very frustrating and difficult. I mean, can you imagine how scary it would have been for Saul, just in a matter of days, everything he has believed about his faith, his life, his career has been turned upside down in a moment. Now he's alone in a foreign city, unable to do anything on his own, yet we see throughout Luke's narrative of the story, God has a purpose. So perhaps some of you may be there, right? This sense of lostness, this sense of not being able to see, maybe not physically, 
But in your life, maybe you feel a little bit lost. Maybe you feel a little bit confused. And it may not be enjoyable. Perhaps nothing seems to make sense. Yet, yet friends, remember what Luke is showing us is that God is using these challenges and seasons to create something new in each of us. You see, for Saul, God used these three days to really reconstruct his belief about Yahweh, his belief about God, and, and really to solidify his trust in him. For you, it may be something else. It may be the very thing that God wants to create, right? This trust, this belief. But one thing I want to encourage you guys is do not despise these seasons of uncertainty, these seasons of blindness, these seasons of not knowing. For often that's where true discipleship takes place. When we see throughout the story, men and women are called to these dark and difficult places in order for God to create something in them for their benefit. So quick review, two things we're gleaning from the text. God is in our mess, in our troubles, in our season, in our suffering. And two, he has a purpose for whatever that we're going through. He may not reveal it to us at that time, but as followers of Christ, we, we believe that he has a purpose for everything that we experience. Verses 10 and 19. So, so now Saul is alone, unable to see not eating, not drinking, lost strength. He's in the city of Damascus, not knowing what to do next. Verse 10 to 11, God tells a man named Ananias in the city. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. Somehow the gospel had already reached Damascus and he's become a follower of Jesus. And God tells Ananias in verse 11 to go and pray for this man's soul. Yet Ananias has some serious concerns about this man Saul because he has heard stories about this man, how he was coming to cause havoc in the city of Damascus, right? So he, he responds in verse 13 to the Lord. Honestly, he says, Lord, I've heard about this man Saul and all the trouble and pain he's causing, not only in the city of Jerusalem and other regions, and how he has come to our city with an authority from the high priest to arrest anyone who is preaching Jesus. Like, God, what, what do you mean? I, I go talk to this guy? This, this does not seem right. You see, in our story, it is not just Saul who is called to an unfamiliar, uncomfortable place. And Aeneas is also called to go pray for the man who has come to perhaps destroy him and, and, and any of his friends that are followers of Jesus in the city. Not an easy decision. I mean, when we read the story, we're like, oh yeah, God spoke to him, he should do it. Not an easy decision. And, and, and all the readers were, were sitting at the edge of our seats thinking, does he act on truth about someone? A truth that may put him in danger? Or does he trust the Lord and obey? This is a real question. This is a real, real person, real decision that he has to make. It's not a simple decision. Yet after back and forth with God, God reassures him. Verse 13, go for this man's soul is chosen. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name to the nations. God tells Ananias he's no longer a murderer. He is his instrument. 
So, so when we read through the scripture and this story and other stories, there is no doubt that God sees people differently. Yes. But the question always for the disciples and perhaps all of us that are sitting in this room is that can we see with God? Can, these, can, can Ananias see with, with God? Can he see what God sees? Can you and I see people in our lives through the lens of God? And I, I'll be honest with you, this is not easy, right? Living in a city like Seoul, Half the time, I'm annoyed at people. Like, I will be honest with you. Like, just getting on the subway, half the time, I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I just got to not do anything. I may just, you know, we, we, we get so easily annoyed. Maybe you, maybe not you, but I get so easily annoyed at people. And the older I get, I realize that I get, you know, I think in my 20s, I was much more optimistic like my brother Daniel, he's like the most optimistic man ever. Like we could be in like Nepal, it could be hot, I could be so annoyed of everything. Daniel's like, look on the bright side, there's no rain. I'm like, Daniel, shut up. <laughs> and I, I remember I was like, Daniel, but now in my, like as I'm approaching 40, I'm getting so, so annoyed. And I don't even know why I get so annoyed, right? And, and, and it's living in a city like Seoul. It's pace and everybody's trying to get somewhere and it's always this intense thing, right? It's so hard. It's so hard to see people the way God sees them. But friends, true faith, what Luke is showing us is that true faith will presses, press you and I to reorder what we know. Really, believing in something, right? Putting your faith in something will cause you to reorder what you believed before. The truth we know of a person or people must move to the background, and what we know of God's desire for them must move to the forefront. Really, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, one of the main areas is the way we see people. One commentator says, and, and I think this is a worthy quote, the danger we imagine inscribed on their bodies, people's bodies, must be read against the delight we know God takes in their life. That same divine delight covers you and I. Let me read that again. The danger we imagine inscribed on their bodies, who, may, who, who that person may be for you, maybe it may be your boss, it may be your coworker, it may be a family member, your spouse, whatever, whatever issues you have, right? The, the, the danger we imagine inscribed on their bodies must be read against the delight we know God takes in their life. And you're like, God takes no delight in my boss. No, he does. And that same divine delight covers you and I, really. Remember, right? I don't have, much, I don't have all this time to go through Genesis 1.27. Every human being, the Bible says every human being, everyone in this room, everyone who's watching, everyone in your life, everyone you ran into on your way here, the person you got into argument at the parking lot, every human being is made in the very image of God. And this is really the starting point of how, as followers of Jesus, must deal with relationships in our lives. Again, this is hard. This is really hard. So when we are tempted to write someone off, we must remember all people are in the, made in the very image of God, and that must impact the way we treat others. 
Of course, this doesn't mean you won't get into arguments. I'm not asking for perfection. This doesn't mean you will instantly like everyone and you have to be best friends with everyone. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean a commitment and love for God is directly tied and should impact the way we treat people in our own lives. It has to impact whether you are a lawyer or a bus driver, a a mom or a dad, or whatever that you do, it must directly impact, right? This is why I ask for prayer, because when I go home and and hang out with my parents, I become a little child, I become a five-year-old. I get so annoyed annoyed of things that they shouldn't annoy me. And I lash out, and I ask for prayer, because when my parents see, hey, my son's a pastor, he's serving the Lord, when I come home, I'm 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 a giant child, my parents are like, he's not a disciple of Jesus, Right? It doesn't encourage them. It doesn't encourage my sister who's, who's, who's also in her journey with Jesus. So, and, and really, you know, we've all had, maybe not all of us, we've, but we've all had met somebody who's a devout Christian who would go morning prayer, read their Bible and go on mission trip, but they're a terrible friend or they're a terrible boss or they're a terrible coworker. We've, we've seen that and there's this disconnect that their commitment to Jesus, their love for God is really misaligned or is, is really inconsistent with the way you treat just people in your life. But we see Ananias. He, he, he's different. He embraces this man's soul. So verse 17, Luke tells us, Ananias goes to pray for Saul and, and he lays his hand on Saul and, and he says something shocking. Verse 17, you'll miss it if you don't look at it. Verse 17, he lays his hand on Saul and he says, what? Brother Saul, you're my brother. You are my brother. Ananias sees this man now through faith. Not how others have defined him. But through the words that God has spoken over this man, not a murderer. Yes, he is, but not a murderer, but God's instrument because God says he's no longer a murderer. He's my instrument. He's my vessel to the nations. So he's a brother. Friends, the third and the final observation from our passage, our story, is Ananias is modeling true faith for us. And it's really simply seeing people with the sight of God, right? Seeing people through the way God sees them, the image of God in each person. And again, it's not easy. You know what's easy? Judging people around us is easy. Easy Sizing people up is easy. Condemning, dismissing people, believing lies or creating lies about people is easy. Believe me, I've done that. I've been there. It's miserable. But what's hard is really truly embracing people the way God has called us to embrace people. And you know, what's really interesting is I've seen many people, you know, as I've done ministry, who grew up in the church, the people that grew up in the church, many of them have a hard time embracing people that are different from them. Someone new comes to church and they do not look like you. They do not act like you. They use words that you have never used in your life. And they have a hard time embracing people that are new to this community. And when you peel off their layers, often, there are many reasons why, but, but when you peel off their layers, it's often because they have this older brother mentality 
In the story of Luke 15, this older brother says, I've earned my place with God. You have not. It's like that story of, of labor that Jesus tells the parable, right? Everyone gets the same wage for the day. And the last person comes in at the last hour and gets the same wage. And the people are upset like, he worked one hour. I worked 12 hours. How can we get same wage? That's sort of, if we, we're not careful, if we grew up in the church, that's the trap that we can fall into. This idea of I've earned my place and you have not. Yet if we truly grasped the gospel, if we truly understood the gospel, the fact that we did not earn God's acceptance by our own effort, by our own righteousness, but even what we, we've earned, even this invitation to be part of his community is a gift. We can continue if we can continue in that reality, that will completely change the way we see others. Again, not easier. It's not easier, but it will challenge the way we look at people. Verses 19 to 25, chapter 9, so a living testimony to the gospel it begins to preach in Damascus. People are upset. The Jews in the city are upset. They plot to, to take his life away. And, and Saul's friends tell him, and, and really, by, by, he barely escapes the city of Damascus, verse 26. And, and his soul returns to the city of Jerusalem. And he goes to the disciples in Jerusalem to join them, right? Yet the text tells us he is not received. Verse 26, the disciples in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church, did not believe that Saul was a genuine believer. Right? Even the disciples, the ones that were the main leaders of the Jerusalem church, he, they reject Saul and says, no, your testimony is not true. You're not welcomed here. That's a challenge for us. We, it, maybe we don't say it out loud. Maybe we don't express it that way. But often our attitude is you're not welcomed here. And it's not until, verse 27, a man named Barnabas re-enters the story. And this man, Barnabas, really goes between, puts his own reputation on the line and goes between the apostles and, and Saul and says, Saul, you come. Your story is my story. Your testimony is my, my testimony. We'll go together. Again, Luke is sharing Right, really celebrating not only Ananias but Barnabas. Right, two stories in very short period of time, and Barnabas also embraces Saul as a brother. And so, friends, really, as as we walk away from Acts nine, it's very clear that this is a this is the calling that God has for us as a community of believers to see people as God sees, to embrace people as He does. But how can we do that when we are broken, when we are full of, filled with pride, when we feel like we've earned our spot and they did not? How can we do that? So we can only do that if we continue to remember, again, the essence of the gospel. What is the essence of the gospel? That we too have been seen. That we too have been embraced. We too have been covered by grace even though we did not deserve what we were given. Friends, none of us, no matter who you are, even if you were, 
you, you knew Christ from your mother, your, your mom's womb, right? No matter who we are, none of us have come to Christ by our own righteousness or goodness. That's, that's what the scripture says. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what the scripture says. If that were the case, no one can stand before the judgment of God. It doesn't matter how awesome you are. You're not good enough. And this is why Jesus, the creator, has entered into our world, into our suffering, into our fears. This is why he has carried us. And he has come not only to join us in our pit of fire, but also to be the final payment, to make the payment that was necessary. Therefore, friends, it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus we're not only changed, but we're able to see the way God sees. And really, this is the only thing that separates this community, Christian community, from all other communities. You know church is not a perfect place. You know we disagree here. You know there will be just different things. We'll struggle, right? That's not a perfect place. But it is a place where we recognize that Jesus' transformative power is doing a wonderful work. And we are all part of the process. We're all part of the journey. And we celebrate his work together. And we, as people come along, as people enter this community, we invite them, we welcome them. We embrace them just as we have been embraced. And I believe that's what Luke wants to show us in, in, in Luke nine, uh, Acts 9, through the story of Ananias and Barnabas. We'll talk about Paul. Uh, other pastors, elders will talk about Paul. Paul's wonderful. But really, what we see here is this embrace, this welcoming, this seeing. Let's pray. You know, before I pray, can I just give you guys a moment to... You know, as I was preparing this sermon, uh, I had to repent myself because uh, as I was thinking about my relationships, as I was thinking about going home, as I was thinking about just different relationships I have in my life, I, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm so, I, 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 I'm so good at just dismissing people. I may not tell you in your face, I may not say it, but in my mind, as I've grown older, it's so easy to assume the worst of people. It's so easy to make yourself the victim. It's so easy to, to, to justify your actions by, by putting down others. Can I just give a moment for us to come before the Lord and just ask the Holy Spirit. Let, let, let me not convict you. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about relationships in our lives. The way we're dealing with others. Take a moment. And I'll pray for us and we'll go into time of communion.
Father, we, um, we want to be like Ananias and Bar- Barnabas. Lord, Barnabas um, is so underrated. We, we get excited about maybe other disciples, someone who's more flash, flashy, someone who's more capable, someone who's able to do more. But Lord, we continue, I continue to come back to Barnabas and what a, what a man he is. And I pray more than anything else that we would have the spirit of Barnabas in each of us. That when people see us, they would, they could put their guards down because they know that we will not judge them. When people spend time with us, they can pour out their hearts because they know that this is not some, we're not interviewing them or judging them or sizing them up. Holy Spirit, fill us with your wisdom. And Lord, give us strength to put away our knowledge, put away what we think about people, what we think we know about life, and really embrace and bring to forefront the way you see people, the way you see our life. Lord, if anyone is in season of lostness just as Saul was in, in our story for three days he, he, he was utterly lost Lord I pray that you would meet them there and Lord I pray you would give us courage to not despise these seasons of, of challenges these seasons of, of hard and difficulties for we know Lord ultimately you want to do something new in each of us Lord, you know us, you know us each intimately. You know things that we don't even know about ourselves. So we once again recommit ourselves to you. Lord, we want to be vulnerable before you to continue to do your, your sanctifying work in each of us. Father, we pray for King's Cross as a community that we will never get comfortable in this church subculture, that we would never feel like, man, we deserve to be here and others do not or others have to earn their way to our church. Lord, we, we, we pray against the older bro- brother's spirit feeling that we've earned something, that this is a place that's embracing, place that is welcoming, place that, that, that people can come and find Christ and find freedom and find healing. Find friends. Thank you for these challenges, Lord, through your word. Strengthen us once again. Jesus, and we pray. Amen. Friends, we'll go into time of communion.